0: i'm chris farrell from the all things good and nerdy podcast a wacky weekend morning show part of the gunna geek network just like the show you're checking out right now shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others find other awesome geeky shows over at gunnageeknetwork.com
1: this is the official gunnageek.com show each week we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek these are your hosts for the show Stephen. Chris, and SP. Welcome to episode 383
0: of the Official going of to Geek Show. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is the fantastic SP...
2: Hey guys, how is everybody doing? I hope you enjoyed your July Stanley Cup finale (laughs) and looking forward to the Olympics if they actually happen. We we have yet to figure out if the Olympics are actually going to happen this year or not. No fans in the stands whatsoever, but NBC's got those lucrative broadcast rights and they got a plan and we're not going to talk about it tonight
0: oh yeah that that is a whole other conversation uh Chris can't be here this week but uh I should be back next week but here's the thing you're looking at your your iPod classic and you're going wow two weeks since these guys were here and guess three now and I can't believe they're back I thought that they just ran away no we did not run away uh we had well, planned Steven tried to. I tried yeah. we had planned to have the holiday long weekend for those that don't know SP and Chris, are located in America. And I am in Nuda, uh, Canada. And so it doesn't work. Is that way. what we're calling it now? Nuda. <laughs> nada. And so uh there are a couple of holiday weekends that happen. Uh one is July 1st, the other is July 4th. And so we were going to take the Monday off there, because it was sort of a long weekend for a lot of people. So that was planned. And we we're gonna tell you about that the previous week, which was going to be a show that was recorded on uh, Monday, the 28th of June. But here's the thing. We're in the middle of a massive heat wave when that happened. And so uh, we decided to cancel this because my studio gets very hot. I was afraid of equipment dying. And so, um, yeah, we, we just didn't do two weeks in a row. Sorry about that. Thank you, though, for coming back this week.
2: You know, I should have had you check your processor while we were recording Better Podcasting the next day, because literally you booted up the machine we recorded, you brought it back down. I would have, from a tech geeky standpoint, I would have loved to have known the temperature of your CPU at the time that we stopped recording.
0: That would have been good. But yes, uh, we are here to talk about geeky stuff. If you've never checked out the show before, we run down some of the latest geek news items that tickle our fancy and give our thoughts on it and share some thoughts. But this week, we're going to start off with what is a little bit of a longer one, and we'll see how the night goes from there. SP, why don't you kick us all off with this? Because this was an exciting week in your forte. It was.
2: Honestly, it wasn't as exciting as it might have seemed, but it was exciting nonetheless, and we'll get into why. And for those that have been in the GunnaGeek.com Discord server, you've seen me make posts on the Outer Space and Science channel about various different things, and this was one of them. So just yesterday, yesterday, July 11th, 2021, Sir Richard Branson flew into space to officially kick off the space tourism age. Well, we'll talk about that later on, too. But... Let's talk about what happened first. A highly choreographed event hosted by none other than Stephen Colbert on Sunday, July 11th, 2021 was live streamed on the internet and spotlighted Sir Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic inaugural passenger carrying trip into space aboard the Unity 22 mission. Virgin Galactic's VSS Unity was released from mothership VMS EVE over the skies of New Mexico at 46,000 feet altitude above sea level and used a rocket, a hybrid rocket, to climb to an altitude of 282,000 feet above sea level or a little over 53 miles high or, for you Canucks in the audience, 86 kilometers before it glided back to the spaceport America, which is close to Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. And that is something that's been there for over a decade. The event culminated 17 years of development following Spaceship One's Anasari prize win and a tragic 2014 fatal accident, which we've covered before on The Gunna Geek Show. Branson actually started the day by cycling to the spaceport terminal, where he met up with his three fellow astronaut passengers. And Stephen, go ahead and break in here. Astronaut 001, Sir Richard Branson, signed in with a license to thrill.
0: What, what do you mean a license to thrill?
2: I don't know. I think he was just trying to be entertaining or whatever. And he's doing the gag of 007 with the astronaut 001. But it just it fell flat to me. Did it fall flat to you?
0: Well, I'm just still trying to figure out, do, do I order these online? Do I have to go to my local DMV? Like, where do I get this license to thrill issued? Because I've been trying to thrill people for a long time. And that must be why I'm failing at it.
2: Yeah, you don't own a billion dollars worth of companies and have your own space tourism company. That's why you don't.
0: I'm unlicensed. I am unlicensed to throw.
2: Thank goodness for that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the other three occupants that were astronauts was Astronaut 002 Beth Moses. She is the Virgin Galactic Chief Astronaut Trainer, and they disclosed that she had been up in the plane the previous flight as she was checking out the interior cabin. Astronaut 003 is Colin Bennett, who's the Virgin Galactic lead flight operations engineer. And Astronaut 004, Chershaya I believe, Bendela, and I just butchered her name. I'm so sorry. She is the Virgin Galactic vice president of government affairs and research operations. For those that don't know, Virgin Galactic has been selected to do some weightlessness uh, scientific experiments during their future flights. Now, the Unity 22 pilot was Dave McKay, and the Unity 22 co-pilot was Michael Masucci. The EVE pilot was CJ Sterko, and the EVE co-pilot was Kelly Latmer. So those were the eight people involved in the flight. Only six went up into, quote-unquote, space. Despite a mostly flawless flight, there were some minor anomalies to note. Now, there were, first of all, it was just weather related. There was a short 90-minute weather delay while overnight storms cleared the area and allowed the rollout of the combined vehicles to the open tarmac. This actually worked out well for me because I had forgotten why this date was important to me, (laughs) and... And I was like, July 11th, that that date is so, so important. And I just don't remember why. It's because my daughter had arranged a wedding planner meeting at <laughs> nine o'clock Eastern time that morning. So I would have missed this had it not been for the delay. So I was very grateful for the we- weather delay that it happened. I did go to the wedding planner meeting and then came back and it was only an hour. So, okay. The only other anomalies during the flight was some garbled video and audio transmissions from inside the cabin, which was attributed to a possible blocked antenna. We'll see. I think they were just holding it wrong.
0: Yes, uh, I agree with your diagnosis on that, but I disagree with your phrasing of there was some. uh,
2: (laughs) Some. Do, do we want to get into the, the video stream technicalities because it was really bad?
0: Well, I, that's what I, I like. Some is a understatement of the year, SP, because it was like they, there was virtually nothing of excitement from on the sh- uh, on the I don't even. What do you call it on the ship? Like, oh, uh, yeah. The, the
2: actual, yeah, yeah, the, uh, it's a spaceship. On it's, the
0: vessel, uh, anyways, this <laughs> vessel, vessel. <laughs> uh, they're they're seriously. Everything that was exciting didn't work. You got a little bit of of a visual as they were climbing. Aside from that, it, all like the whole climax was ruined by the fact that there was there was no video to be transmitted. So I, so it, it was more than some.
2: I think a little bit of the excitement was a little, it was mitigated by the fact that the ground cameras actually caught the vehicle at the apex of the trajectory. Okay, I mean, throughout it, the ground uh, cameras never lost sight of this thing. That's so true. you're seeing this thing from the ground the entire time. And you're like, well, that doesn't work with like the space shuttle or the SpaceX launches or anything like that. You lose sight of it eventually. So you, you're actually seeing the vehicle, the entire time through the trajectory, as long as there's no clouds and there were no clouds in the sky while this test was going on in or flight was going on, or I don't know what to call it. Cause it's not a launch, I, I guess it kind of, it kind of is a launch because they use a hybrid rocket to propel them up. But anyway. It reminded me, the cutout of the video and the audio reminded me of the last SpaceX launch that we watched with SN15, where it went up and came back down and it was completely obscured and everything. And then SpaceX just ordered like billions of dollars worth of antenna and comms gear and everything to just put it in Spaceport USA down there in Boca Chica. And you know that they don't want that to happen again. But I don't know if... Virgin Galactic is going to be able to spend the amount of money to do this because in relative money terms, this is kind of a fly by night company versus like the SpaceX billion dollar sort of company. So I don't know what kind of communication we're expecting in the future. They did say multiple times from multiple people that everything was being recorded on board and they would release it later. It's been a day later. I haven't seen it released yet, but I haven't been looking for it either. So.
0: Well, you know, there is a strong possibility, though, that it all has to do with people were speculating that this was maybe a little rushed compared to where the original plan was. And maybe maybe it was bumped up a little bit because of the whole controversy, which we'll talk about a little bit later. um, And they wanted to be quote first and all that. So clearly they just didn't get a chance to finish the CGI render.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You flatter for you. So, so, Richard Branson said himself that it wasn't a competition with Jeff Bezos. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, one could argue one way or the other. ok. So during a terrible
0: flight... business person, if if you're not trying to be competitive, like I'll just throw that out there. But again, we can get into that in a bit,
2: uh, ok. So during the flight trajectory, the passengers experienced about five minutes of weightlessness, which uh, they could unbuckle and float around the cabin. We did get some garbled video of them flailing about the cabin. I can't say floating or doing acrobatics or anything because it was so choppy. All we saw was like single frames every like five seconds when they were showing them. So they did experience weightlessness. And if you do have the fortunate opportunity to be on one of these flights, you can have about four or five minutes of weightlessness. But then you got to get back in your seat and buckled in. Because you're going to need to. (laughs) Oh, way to go, Stephen. Stephen is mimicking that he is weightless in his very hot studio in Canada there. Okay, there was a controversy, multiple controversies, but there was definitely a controversy around this flight. And it has to deal with the definition of where space begins. And since we really haven't talked about the technicalities of it on this podcast, I wanted to be able to go over it so everybody would have a good baseline on where space begins. So the government entities of the United States including NASA, the Federal Aviation Administration, or the FAA if you prefer that, and the Department of Defense, or DOD, which means the Air Force, Space Force, Navy, Marine Corps, everybody like that, all recognize 50-mile-high altitude as where a person or a serviceman included in the DOD can fly to that altitude and earn their astronaut wings. However, the international-recognized altitude Of 62 miles or a thousand or a hundred kilometers, it's known as the Karman line and it's recognized as the international boundary to space. The 50 mile line is backed by such people as Jonathan McDowell, who is an astrophysicist and satellite tracker based at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. And in 2018, he made the case for the 50 mile line in a paper. Now. In the middle of the 20th century, Hungarian-American physicist Theodore von Karman proposed that space begins where the forces of orbital dynamics exceed those of aerodynamics. He placed that line at 100 kilometers and came more or less via a rough order of magnitude argument. McDowell wrote in the 2018 study, after all, 100 kilometers is much closer to the mark than 10 kilometers or 1,000 kilometers but the actual boundary by von Karman's original definition lies somewhere between 70 and 90 kilometers, or if you're American, 43 to 56 miles of altitude. This was calculated by McDowell. So 80 kilometers or 50 miles is a good approximation of this nebulous marker, especially considering that it represents a sort of point of no return for satellites. What does this mean? Spacecraft whose elliptical orbits take them lower than 80 kilometers, do not survive more than one additional loop around our planet, McDowell noted, whereas craft that stay just a few kilometers higher can remain aloft for days or weeks. Now, they will eventually come down, but it's a more sustainable orbit. Prior, okay, so that is the definition on the 50 miles versus 62 miles. Are you okay with that, Stephen? Makes sense to me. Okay. Now let's move on to just a couple of days ago. Prior to Branson's flight, which is on Virgin Galactic, their space tourism competitor, Blue Origin, released an infographic detailing the differences between the two experiences. And the definition of where space began was one of the key points cited as well as vehicle type, size of windows, availability of an escape system, ozone layer impact, and flight history. After the post, the Blue Origin Twitter account both wished Virgin Galactic a great flight and gave a congrats after the flight. And Bezos himself complimented Branson and his team after landing, posting a note to his Instagram saying, congratulations on the flight, can't wait to join the club. Okay, so they made nice after the post went out. However... (laughs) It was pasted all over. I found it within minutes. I sent it to you, Steven. Yeah. I sent it to Chris, and I was like, "Ooh, somebody just talked some smack here." And uh, literally, then there was headlines of articles online, basically that said the same thing. Somebody was throwing down some stuff. So, yeah, you were talking about competition. This this is definitely competition. Yeah, they they both will eventually give you the same result if you're looking for that weightlessness experience to see the curvature of the earth they both will be about the same amount of time in the capsule on buckle just floating around one will be a little higher than the other blue origin does go above the carmen line when it goes up and down and it's from a rocket that takes off from the ground versus virgin galactic is shot from an airplane kind of like a cruise missile it's just released and then goes up in flight once it kicks off its rocket so okay there's differences but I want to see what the price is for a Blue Origin flight which has not been announced yet versus the flight of a Virgin Galactic flight which is 250,000 I want to see that difference and until we see that difference I can't make full comment on this infographic because it doesn't take into account cost 250000 versus what? How much is Blue Origin going to cost for, per seat? It's going to be a million dollars. It's going to be $2 million. It's going to be $50,000. Who knows? We'll see.
0: Alright. Can I just jump in about that whole debate thing? I, I, I do think that this is something that needs to be considered because we're not in a government serving their own purposes need anymore. We're, we're now in the private sector and The people are paying for a service. And so whatever that definition ends up being needs to be clearly defined to the customer. This is with any service. You look look at telecoms, right? There's always one telecom that goes and is like, w- w- we got the best cellular network. And then court case goes and they're like, no, actually, we got to revise that, put a little asterisk on there, right? And so now that they're selling a product, I do think that this has to be considered. And there's going to be variables because obviously it's it's a product being offered out of a certain geographic location. However, it's probably going to serve an international base for obvious reasons, which includes both your customer base is going to be have to have to have a target of international um, customers, as well as the fact that you're going to space. So I think that this is a valid question that needs to be asked. And I- I'm not trying to go against anything to do with you know the US's decision and people who've got their astronaut wings and all that stuff there. Like that's fine. That's a US organization issuing those about a US standard. But when we're looking at something like this, I think it is a valid question to be asked and answered eventually, and I think that people need to know about this as well if they're buying buying a service because if by most of the world's definition they're not going to space, and these people are buying a service through like a, a vendor or a broker or however this is going to end up being sold, elsewise, and it's being marketed as you can go to space, then it's a question and it's a concern because technically that's not true. If someone's selling this. Outside of a place, or outside of a place, basically outside of the U.S., then they're they're not fulfilling the need of the customer or, or what the customer is paid for. Now, this is years away because at this point, it's, it's so expensive that they don't care. They, no, nobody's gonna really care that much. All they care about is what they're gonna go up. They're gonna have that waitlessness for a few seconds. They're gonna see everything. And uh, and then they're going to go back and feel really cool. And and that's fine. But at some point, I think this is a valid question to be asked. And it might be a situation that the government of Marca might have a different definition than ends up being in the private sector. We'll see.
2: Or maybe the government will shift their definition too. I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I will say that Having watched the crewless launch of Blue Origin, because that was live streamed a few weeks ago, and watching this yesterday, it's just a cheap thrill ride. It is going up and going down in like 15 minutes. You have to minus the flight on VMS Eve as you go up and all the prep work and stuff like that, or the prep work that it takes to get on board New Shepard for Blue Origin. And then you come down, and you have to go through medical checks and whatever. So it is a day long experience and probably takes some preparation beforehand. But in the end, it is just a cheap 15 minute thrill ride up. You get less than five minutes of weightlessness before you got to strap back in. Uh, okay. Uh, it's a million dollar, millionaire or billionaire's thrill ride. And I'm glad it is. You know, there are some benefits here. The benefits are that. Just a few years ago, this wasn't available for your average citizen. You had to go through a government organization in order to do that. Now people can do it reasonably on their own dime. You know, if they invest enough money, if they make enough money and they have the 250000 plus whatever Blue Origin ones, you can do both. And, and it's available, whereas before it really wasn't available to everybody. So there are some positives, but I think there's a lot of negatives. Like I said, cheap thrill ride. OK. <laughs> so in the ceremony after the flight, Sir Richard Branson took the opportunity to announce an Omaze partnership in a raffle for two free tickets to space. Stephen, are you familiar with Omaze?
0: Yeah, Omaze is a fundraising service where people put up pretty big rewards. Often in like the movie and TV industry, it's like, "Hey, have a guest appearance on this," which is basically you sitting in the back as an extra, if you know, like um, as as part of the the fundraiser. It's a like a, a draw type thing for people who donate to the fundraiser.
2: Right. It's, it's a raffle, basically, for whatever the end result is. I've seen some on the sailing YouTube channels that I follow for like RVs or sailboats or stuff like that. But their key is they want so many people to enter in that it uh, comps the cover of whatever prize is given, unless that's being donated, and then allows charity to have their portion of it as well. Yeah. It's a charitable thing. So, this makes the possibility of going into more orbit more achievable for your average Joe or Jane. In contrast, just want to say this Blue Origin held an auction for a seat on their first space tourism mission scheduled for July 20th, which was one for, we talked about it before on the show, $28 million. Hardly achievable for you or me, Steven.
0: No. <laughs> This is this is cool, though, like um, the fact that they are doing this through Omaze. And I think we're going to see more of this in the future just because I think it's good publicity for them. I think it puts a, a little bit back towards the common person, which all of these ventures, which we'll get into probably in a minute here, are taking criticism. And so I think that if you can, you know, get a couple of average Joes or average Janes on there. It all adds up, you know, get get that snowball rolling.
2: Yeah, and as of this recording, the winner of that auction for Blue Origin is yet to be revealed. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So Virgin Galactic tickets are not currently on sale. They came off the market a couple of years ago, but previous tickets for $250,000 per a seat were sold. Virgin Galactic expects commercial operations with paying passengers to begin in early 2022 after accomplishing at least two additional flight tests. Now, uh, talk about the competition again. Sir Richard Branson did receive a send-off from another space-enthused billionaire, (laughs) Elon Musk. So Elon joined Richard earlier that morning and presumably witnessed the flight from the Virgin Galactic Control Center by the pictures that were posted online. Musk tweeted, Godspeed to Branson before the flight, also had breakfast with him. Reportedly, Musk has previously purchased a ticket to ride in VSS Unity for the $250,000 amount. There's no word on where Elon is in the line. There's a lot of celebrities that were either purchased tickets or were comp tickets as well for Unity. So in addition to Virgin Galactic, and as we just discussed, the Blue Origin inaugural space tourism flight, SpaceX will also send up an entirely privatized mission to space in September of this year called Inspiration4. I can't remember if we talked about it on the show before or not. Do you remember talking about this on the show? I
0: vaguely remember that. Yes.
2: Okay. So on board the SpaceX Inspiration4 flight will be billionaire Jared Isaacman, who's the CEO and founder of shift 4 Payments. Physicians assistant Haley Arkano, I believe is how you say his last name, a child cancer survivor, data engineer Chris Sembrowski, who was gifted the winning seat by a friend who won it in a St. Jude fundraiser sweepstakes. I need friends like that. And geoscientist and science communication specialist Sion Proctor, who won the seat in a shift for shop competition. Now, Inspiration4 was named to commemorate the four-person crew and their associated pillars of support for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. The crew of Inspiration4 will receive commercial astronaut training and become the first people to complete a space flight with no direct government agency oversight. So it's important to note that this is technically a space tourism sort of thing uh, led by billionaire Jared Eisekman but it's also, again, charity-based where there has been a lot of money raised for St. Jude in the process. As for the upcoming Blue Origin flight on July 20th, so far the crew consists of Jeff Bezos, his brother Mark, the charity auction winner, which is still not disclosed, and this is new since we talked about it last time, the 82-year-old Wally Funk. Now, Wally Funk is a fabled Mercury 13 member. And if you don't know anything about Mercury 13, we haven't talked about it whatsoever. It was a privatized all women astronaut training group at the same time that the Mercury seven were ha- happening. So she is still around and she's never flown in space. Funk will return and uh, will earn the distinction of being the oldest person in space because John Glenn was 77 when he rode the space shuttle into orbit on STS-95 in October 1998. So until there's somebody older than Wally that goes up, she will be the oldest person in space after this flight goes on July 20th. That is so cool.
0: It's very cool. Um, I, I like the broad variety that we're seeing out of some of these first flights and first things that are happening just because Yeah, obviously there's still so much money involved but i just like that we do have a variety there like um one of the people mm, don't remember who was on the current one she was only 34 like and now on the other end of things you've got here 82 it's cool i know different we were just talking about virgin a few minutes ago this is now blue origin but it's cool
2: so there has been no announcement for the final two of the six seats uh, that New Shepard is going to have. So let's talk a little bit about space tourism history. The first space tourist, because we haven't talked about this before, actually paid the Russia in 2001 to visit Mir, and that was Dennis Tito, who was a Los Angeles businessman. Now, technically, you might say that there were two other space tourists before him. They were Russian private citizens, or they were private citizens, who also visited Mir, which was the previous space station to the International Space Station. It was only only exclusively by Russia. It was called Mir. If you watch the Armageddon movie, there is a mock-up of what Hollywood decided what Mir looked like, which eventually exploded, and there was a crazy Russian on board. But um, Mir did play a part in the first space tourism with Dennis Tito and these two other private citizens that didn't pay. They didn't pay, though. So we don't know if we should label them space tourists or not. And there was a British citizen and a Japan citizen included in there. And up until 2009, there was an additional six space tourists. One went twice. There was a South African. Uh, several Americans, well, one American and then one Iranian American, one American that was originally a Hungarian citizen. He went twice and a British American and the last one until yesterday. So the last space tourism that happened until yesterday was a Canadian who uh, is the founder of Cirque du Soleil. He went up in two thousand and nine. He was the last one for about twelve years there. What do you think about that, Stephen?
0: Yeah, that, I remember that vaguely. Uh, the, I should remember better than that, but I vaguely remember that. And I think that it's kind of neat that all these things happened, all the space tourists. But this was space tourism on things that were not meant for space tourism. And to me, that's a huge definition difference. Is Yes, they okay. paid to go on things like the Soyuz, but these that we're talking about today, and this is one of the reasons I'm so excited about it, because uh Blue Origin and Virgin, these are things that are being built for space tourism. And I think that that's a different mindset, what their offerings are different, and it becomes more, I, I guess easy to understand what it's going to take to get up there right with all of these other things i'm sure there's back channel discussions about how much do i have to pay with this we're getting to the point that it'll be here's your set price to go up on the space tourist thing and so that's where i think that the difference is and it's interesting So
2: all these trips were in the millions of dollars. They were, I think the least expensive one I saw was like 4 million, but that would had to been heavily discounted. And most of them are like in the 20 to $25 million range. And there has been because of the increased traffic and crew size on board the international space station, there has been no tourists on board the international space station since 2009. So really, really haven't had any in 12 years. So Breaking from the story just a little bit, just to let you know the future upcoming space dates, in addition to Blue Origin's flight in just eight days now, Boeing's OFT-2 CST-100 Starliner test is not earlier than 30th of July 2021. That is the on-crewed version of their capsule going up to the International Space Station. And if everything goes well, then they will be flight certified to do a test with crew on board. Meanwhile, SpaceX's Dragon has a Crew Three system or mission to go to the International Space Station, and that is due to launch on Halloween on October thirty first, twenty twenty one. Space, which X. by the
0: way, I think this is where that version of Freddy versus Jason ended up happening, or it was oh. it was one of the those two movies happened in space. Maybe it was Jason next in space. Was that what it was? Anyways. I think Friday I saw 13th? the original Friday
2: the 13th, uh-huh. and that was it.
0: There was one of those horror movies that happened in space. Friday the 13th in space, question uh, mark. Anyways, it happened. Uh, Jason <laughs> X, it was Jason X. That's, Jason X. That's how it all happened, I think.
2: Okay. Uh, we've been talking about SpaceX's Starship for quite a bit, and its orbital test is scheduled to happen sometime in July, although widely speculated in the industry that will happen in August. Uh, they just shipped in a nose cone yesterday that looked pretty rad. I don't know if that's going to be part of the booster test or not with uh, BN3 or not. That's exciting. NASA is still scheduled to launch their SLS system, which is part of the Artemis system, in late November. We'll see if that shifts to the right at all. And also, we are already know that the James Webb Space Telescope. Launch is going to shift to the right a little bit from November, or I think it was originally a October 31st, and that's going to shift to the right to November, possibly December as the launch vehicle undergoes some test launch is first before the, it's certified to uh, carry James Webb into space. So a lot of stuff going on between now and the end of the year, and it's just going to pick up from there because you're going to see more and more launches as the nations of the world rush back to the moon on their stopping point to Mars in just a couple of years.
0: So I got a few things I want to talk about with this whole thing. Um, First, I have to say, uh, I I know that Branson claims that it wasn't rushed. However, I should point out that again, Gunna Geek Show says something and something else happens. I believe not too long ago I said, what? What? SP, tell me, Blue Origin is beating Virgin at their own game? To which we surmised that they were. And then Virgin came in and just like, nope, we're first. So again, you can thank the Gunna Geek Show for all of this.
2: Sure. (laughs) So a little caveat on the first thing. This was their quote-unquote first flight, but all the people on board were associated with Virgin Galactic. and, And their true flights don't start until 2022. So I think Blue Origin will still have them beat.
0: Fair enough. Uh, Second thing that I want to highlight right now is that um, I think that people might not be seeing the big picture, or maybe I'm looking with rose-colored glasses on this here, but I have seen so much criticism over the last little bit about this sort of thing, like, well, could you put those dollars towards something on Earth here? And then the people talking about pollution and all that there. And, and yes, there are valid questions and conversations to be had about all, mean, all of these things.
2: You mean like Lamborghinis or Veyrons that uh, cost two hundred fifty dollars to $300,000?
0: Like I said, there are valid conversations to be had about all of these things. However... I think people are missing the big picture about this being a gateway. Yes, right now we have millionaires playing. Uh, who's this bigger? And, and that's where we're at right now. But if we use, if this at all becomes the stepping stone, like at all in some level becomes a stepping stone to much faster and better travel around our world this could be huge. Imagine that this leads to something where you, instead of flights, you go up, you come down, as SP said on here before, where you're across the world in 20 minutes, right? Like, this could be a stepping stone towards that. But not only that, the, whether we want to say the definition uh, or what is the definition of space, whether we want to argue that or not, the reality is the level they went to does offer a certain elevation of of going to space and potentially some scientific experiments that could be done out there. And if you're not having to sit around and wait to get that experiment, maybe approved to go to the space station or or wait for the next SpaceX flight, where it's like we have multiple companies going up every now and then, and it's a short thing, maybe this could lead to some of these experiments, some of the this research happening and getting answers a lot sooner than when we're only going to Mars or we're only going to the space station. Like I think there's a lot of potential the more companies that we have going to space on some capacity as well. Uh I believe ver- like this is all Virgin Galactic. There are also I think last week was Virgin Orbit, wasn't it? Which is also sort of related which is launching satellites into space, isn't it? Isn't that what it is, right? So this yeah. this is a, like we can see there is a conglomerate here that is doing things in space. And again, maybe more possibilities if we have more vessels or vessels to send things out to space. So I think that, yes, at the moment, it is a bit of a pissing match. But I think there's a lot of things that this could lead to because we saw what happened when there wasn't competition. and and people just got happy not doing things in space. We ended up with just the Soyuz <laughs> going to space. That, that's all we had. And now we have the private sector and throw a fourth, throw a fifth in here. I, do, I don't care. Throw another billionaire into this, this pissing match and maybe we'll get some good takeaways out of this. And so I, I, I get the conversations people are trying to have, but also that billionaire isn't turning around and donating money and and instantly solving climate problems, like there has to be a like, yeah, I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole, but it's not like here's your check. Now it's solved tomorrow.
2: (laughs) I was actually going to mention the environmental impact of, of rockets and the fact that that is one benefit that we've seen with this rocket development over the course of the last few years with SpaceX and Blue Origin, whereas their off boarding exhaust is water vapor. That's it. That's all it is when to burn it off. So that's environmentally friendly. At least I've seen the Virgin Galactic ship via uh, VSS Unity use a hybrid rocket, uh, which is a kind of a safer rocket to use, which is why they're using it on board. It's got rubber for fuel, which is bad to burn. Okay. Uh, granted, but it's it's safer to use in this application where you have rubber for fuel and you have a gaseous or a liquid oxidizer that is flown it, it's pushed over the surface area of the rubber and it's allowed to to burn and then you can throttle it you can start it you can stop it so obviously that's not how unity is meant to be used it's meant to just burn and burn and burn until it's all gone but those are benefits that you get from this and the last but not least is the fact that all of this competition is driving the cost per pound to orbit down dramatically, yes. and making space more accessible to more uses than it was before. It was really unsustainable before it, it was not financially in anybody's interest, but you throw in the Falcon nine, you throw in starship in there, you throw in a uh, new shepherd and it's, uh, evolutions. And then, uh, there's a couple other businesses worldwide. Relativity, I think, space is is uh, got a Falcon 9 sort of rocket, or maybe it's a Starship sort of rocket that they're making. All this competition is leading towards it's more of a, a UPS or a FedEx flight to space versus this nationally thing where we can only launch 15 missions a year. What do yeah. we get? So this is going to make the use of Earth orbit more Sustainable. This is going to make sending probes out to the rest of the solar system and the science that we can get out of this more sustainable. This will make putting people on places like the moon and Mars as a colony more possible. I won't even say sustainable, but more possible at this point. So there are benefits to this space race with these billionaires in the last 10, 15 years. And we have just uh, we are just on the cusp to realize it within the next 10, 15 years, it's going to be a whole new ball game. So by the time we get to 2035, it's going to be just a different world when it comes to space travel.
0: Well, and, and also you kind of briefly touched on it, more accessible. And I, I know there's going to be some people listening that are offended, but not there. There's not just one country that has all the answers to everything in space. We might want to think that at times that maybe there, you know, there might be some people who think that there's one country that has all of the answers, whoever that is. But, But there are so many that can add to the research and the development and things like that, but they don't have the means that other countries do to be able to have their whole massive space program and to to have their own hardware and things like that. And so when you look at some of the scientific research that happens on an international basis elsewise, you end up having all of these minds that really are untapped in the world of space exploration because their countries don't have the means to have their own NASA or their own, what's the Russian program called technically? Oh,
2: uh, the Russian space agency. Yeah, Russian
0: space agency. Right, like they just—they just don't have that. And so, m- if you've got the private sector involved, maybe you get a few more in there. So I think, yeah, it becomes a lot more access- accessible worldwide. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to throw in here was that we touched on this before on the Guinea Geek Show, but it became very clear that our speculation was correct that people didn't realize what was involved with these current stage of space tourists. There were so many people that were like, wait, that was it. I thought it was going to be longer. And it's like, yep, called it. Everybody, nobody knew people were like, Oh, I thought they'd be in space for hours.
2: (laughs) I work with a bunch (laughs) of people that are familiar with the industry. They're familiar with what's going on. I mean, it's kind of what we do on a day-to-day basis. And so we get into work this morning and I was the only one talking about this flight. No, nobody was uh, really focused on Virgin Galactic. So I was saying, "Yeah, remember Virgin Galactic Sunday morning? Here's the live stream link and everything." So they come in on Monday or today this morning, and they were like, "OSB, that's it." <laughs> i was like, "Yeah, yeah, that was it. It was an up and down. I told you what was going to happen." And they're like, "I wasn't that impressed." I'm like, "Well, look. I mean, you might have gotten to go up on a space shuttle, but not everybody does. So this is, you know." more accessible to people. And no, my boss has not been up on the space special, but I, I was just trying to use that as, uh, just, you know, Hey, look, you know, this, this is more accessible. If you had the money, you could go up on it. And he was like, yeah, you know, uh, no, <laughs> he, he didn't want to do it, but you brought up great points about delivery from point A to point B. I don't think Virgin Galactic could do it, but I could see SpaceX doing it. I could see uh new origin doing it or blue origin doing it. Um, I I could see this being an overnight or hourly delivery from New York to Sydney, Australia. I I could see this happening and you could do it in one hour or two hours or something. That'd be crazy. It it would. And uh, the way SpaceX is doing Starship, this is, Mm -hmm. this is realizable. Uh, it, It would cost some money, but not as much as you think in order to do it. So we'll see. I mean, the whole, I think part of the whole test of Starship, the suborbital test to go from Texas to Hawaii is part of that saying, yeah, we can get from point A to point B in 45 minutes. We can get to you to Hawaii from Texas in 45 minutes. <laughs> I mean, that, that, think of, think of that. If, if you're rich, if you got a lot of money and you want to take a vacation yeah. for the weekend in Hawaii, this could be a way to do it.
0: Yeah. Um the last thing that I just wanted to comment was I loved the tone. Loved loved the tone that they took with all of this there. Um there was a lot of fun to be had. They clearly was not trying to be serious. Even though there's question marks in my mind whether it aligned with the current stage that they're at. I think that maybe the the sort of testing aspect of all this was a little uh underplayed, but nonetheless, I enjoyed overall the tone that they took with it especially when i was sold was there's a kid that asked sir richard branson a question there and and it was something to the effect of did you guys see any planets when you were out there and uh right away just boom right there he goes well actually i i think we saw had an alien saw some aliens out there and they managed to attach to the craft and then turned to one of the pilots and right away said but I think uh, it was a little rough on the way down, and you managed to shake him off uh, before we got into uh, back to Earth, right? Something to the effect of that. It was just, it was hilarious. And uh, I thought that was well played.
2: <laughs> so, a cup. that's actually a good point that I didn't bring up in the show notes. A couple of things to talk about there, are, quote unquote, re entry. The BMS or the SS Unity does not have heat shields on the bottom. And that's because of two things. First of all, they're only coming down maximum as Mach 3. So it's not really fast enough to require them. And second of all, they're low enough in the stratosphere that they don't really skip off the atmosphere. Like at Mach 25 that the space shuttle used to do or that any of the capsules that come back really do. So there is no need for the expensive and intricate heat tiles on board VSS Unity. So that's why you don't see them there. Uh, you are seeing them on board Starship as they get testing. They're putting more and more of those heat tiles on board Starships.
0: Well, we'd love to know what your thoughts are about this. Come to our Discord server at com slash Discord. We do have a channel in there for the official Gunna Geek show, but we actually have a uh, Outer Space Talk and Science channel, which is basically all space talk. And you should you should check that out because... We have a lot of fun conversation and there's some good comments happening about this over the weekend. So we'd love to have you come over there and chat with us about that.
2: We're going to talk about this again, hopefully in two weeks when <laughs> Blue Origin goes up.
0: All right. Well, let's go on to another news point that I've got here, uh, which is just a quick one. It's about Google Meets. Um, the writing's on the wall. I'm just gonna make it simple because we had such a good conversation about Virgin Galactic, is it's looking more and more like Google Duo is is going away pretty soon if you didn't know this google has a couple different video messaging platforms one of which is google duo which is the one that's been around for a little while very similar to facetime where you put in a phone number and you hit call and it works really well and i've used it on many many trips and never had a problem with it um and it looks like it's going away because google meet which was sort of their kind of trying to be like zoom thing It just added more Google Duo features. Google Meet was always the sort of more professional aspect of of the Google Video Services. Well, you can say that that's done and that's over because they have now added the Duo-style filters, AR masks, and effects. Basically, you can be a dinosaur and other random things now during your Google Meet meetings. So this is just seeming more and more like Google Meet is going to replace Duo... And I wanted to mention it right here and right now because the whole Google transition thing from a the few products of old has been muddy over the last couple of years. We've been following it. The Google Hangouts thing, which was also a video service, is pretty, pretty much gone. Like you, you could still technically be on it, but like they're pushing people hard now over off of that. So it looks like if you're setting up shop on any aspect of Google, maybe you want to be looking at Google Meet right now.
2: Yeah, unfortunately at work, I can only use Hangouts, Mm -hmm. so I have transitioned to the chat slash meet on my account that we use to communicate back and forth, and unfortunately, yeah, it's it's not working really great, especially at work, so I've had to go to the URL hangouts.google.com in order to go back to, revert back to Hangouts in order to use that as a text chat back and forth just, uh, okay, uh, this will work for now. I don't know if long-term Hangouts is going to go away, so I don't know what the solution is long-term.
0: Uh, the other thing that we wanted to touch about here, which is an interesting thing, is Black Widow sales. We're talking box office sales again? Can it be? Can we actually have a news story about that again, SV? This is crazy.
2: Yeah, well, the reason I really wanted to bring up the Black Widow opening weekend numbers is not necessarily the box office, although it did pretty well in terms of post-pandemic time or pandemic time or whatever. Uh, You got to remember the last big movie that we got before the pandemic hit was Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. And love the movie, hate the movie, love the franchise now, hate the franchise now, It was the last movie before everything kind of shut down that did a big box office number. In fact, I went back and looked. Opening weekend was $177 million domestically and $373 million worldwide. Nothing has come close since. Well, this past weekend, Black Widow earned $80 million domestically and $78.8 million non-domestically for a total of $158.8 million worldwide, which is, I believe, the most since the pandemic started. I did some research, so we'll talk about that in a second. But this is the real reason I wanted to talk about this. Black Widow additionally, reported by Disney, earned at least $60 million with their Disney Plus premium revenue. Now, Disney Plus customers had to pay an additional $30 per account to watch the film. The announcement was the first ever to include, we'll call this, premium video on demand, or PVOD, that is a now an industry term, PVOD, with the opening weekend numbers in the industry. Several weeks after opening, NBC Universal stated that Trolls 2 had earned a total of 100 million in PVOD in the spring of 2020, but nobody else has ever released opening weekend PVOD numbers. And I don't even think you can with such things like Wonder Woman 1984 because it was inherent in the subscription. Mm over there on HBO Max. So this might be a Disney exclusive that they're able to do this. Now, Disney did not previously include PVOD numbers with the opening weekend releases of Mulan or Raya and the last dragons. Further, Disney has not stated whether they will continue to release the PVOD numbers on opening weekend in future films. So a couple of notes on premium, because we were talking about this maybe off, uh, off-air, off-recording last time that we met. Black Widow will be free on Disney Plus starting October 6, 2021. That's roughly three months after the opening. Mm-hmm. Black Widow will only be available to purchase on Disney Plus for 60 days, so up until September 8th or so. And you will need to maintain your Disney Plus subscription between now and then to keep Black Widow in your vault for the three months prior to the free release, meaning there's going to be about one month where you cannot purchase Black Widow. And the only way you can see Black Widow is either go to the theater and see it, or if you previously purchased it for that $30, then you can go and view it. And if you purchase it for $30, you can view it as many times as you want, as long as you maintain your Disney Plus subscription. Now, if you combine the Disney Plus and the global revenue, Black Widow earned $218.8 million in its opening weekend. There has been online speculation that stated that the reason that Disney Plus released the $60 million number was to take Black Widow above the $200 million barrier on opening weekend. So they could have been just a, hey, look, we did this in pandemic times or post-pandemic times. On opening weekend, we were able to get a film over $200 million, worldwide numbers, but over $200 million. Steven, what do you think about that?
0: Uh, I think that this whole thing is a really interesting thing to analyze, just because of the fact that they've released the numbers, so obviously they have a reason for doing that. What is the reason for that? I'm not sure. but we The fact that they've done that is interesting in itself, but... The fact that it's had such good sales tells us that there are people that would likely not have seen this in the theaters if it wasn't available to be purchased at home. It also tells us those people that are completely like, $30 is ridiculous. No one's ever going to pay that are wrong. They're just flat out wrong because people have paid it. And, And when you look at the situation right it's easy for people to balk at that number like that is so easy to do i actually just had a conversation tonight about this with with my wife about about this and i was like hey i'm thinking about doing this so uh, we should set up a time and we can watch it together she's like 35 bucks why would you pay 35 bucks for a movie do you get to do you own it at that point like like why well, that's a lot of money and then i got talking with her and she's like i, I had seen corella on there and i was like i'm not paying 35 bucks unless i own it and and I had, I had broken it down to her and I'm like, but here's the thing. If we went to the theater together, you and I to watch it, how much would we pay? <laughs> and now how much would we really pay when you throw in drinks and everything? And, and and then I pointed out, and also, we leave the theater and that's the only time we've watched it, as opposed to here, we get to watch it for a few months before it comes free. And then the other side of things that people, I think, are are starting to maybe come around to is that. The concept of owning your movie, I think that that's going away with streaming services and and largely with things like this where they have their own successful streaming service because you're never going to dig out that disc are you're, you're rarely going to dig out that disc. Not say never. You rarely dig that out. You'll just go on the streaming service. And so really, you are looking at what is the price that I'm willing to pay to go up to the release on streaming. And so if you're like, well, I'll wait until it comes to home release and I'll buy it then for $30. Well, you're you're paying for a disc to sit in, in a tub somewhere because you're just gonna stream it. And you're gonna have this, if you have the subscription service. So I, I think that when you have multiple people involved, especially like this number it works, especially when you consider movie theater prices, at the comfort of being in your own home, Now, if you want to go for the big sound, the big visual and all that, then obviously that's a whole different situation. Completely different. I
2: don't think so. I don't think so because with home theaters today, I've got a 65 inch screen and a really decent Atmos sound system. To me, it's okay. It's not exactly like the theater, but to me, it is enough of a good theater experience. We got spoiler I actually bought the movie and I watched the movie this past weekend okay it, it it was good enough for me to be like yeah actually this is cool I can do this and because I do Legends of Shield and we're going to talk about it on Legends of Shield I can actually watch it multiple times you see now and when we record it well, which is awesome
0: and here's the other thing that we we never really got into the, the whole conversation because then we had to have dinner but that's the other thing is how often have people gone to a movie in a theater gone Wow, that was a really good movie. I'm going again next weekend. Now they've paid more than that $35 because they've gone twice. So mm-hmm. so like it's a different frame of mind. It is a huge tag up front, but if you were if if you are someone that goes to the theaters, then I I don't think that's too terrible. Also, let's be real here. You you haven't paid for a movie in the theater in a long time probably. So over the last year and a half you probably have would have spent that $35 on, on movies. So
2: I say, you know, nominally, I'm not in a huge, big city, huge, big cities. Just
0: just interrupt to clarify. The reason I'm saying $35 is because in Canada, it's 34 99.
2: Okay. I haven't been in a, in a huge city like New York or LA when the movie theater prices are probably jacked up a little bit. So I'm, I could go matinee and I could get away with like $8 maybe for a first run film. Uh, But it's, Probably going to be closer to 12. So either way, if you have three people that sit down and watch the movie, which not everybody does, I get it. There's a lot of people that they they only have themselves at home. But if you have three people to sit down and watch the movie, you're breaking even at that point. And if you watch it, if a fourth person watches it or if you watch it yourself later, you've now gone over. So four watches of the movie. You now have paid for that thirty dollars, and that's over the course of three months. So you yeah. don't have to go back to the theater. You can boot it up whenever you want to. You don't get spoiled. Yeah, you know, like if you yeah. you don't want to go to the movie theater and you just want to wait until it comes out, you don't get spoiled online by any spoilers. What happens in the movie? Now maybe you don't care about that, but I do. I care about that as far as it goes to Marvel properties. And I have resorted myself to just wanting to watch the movies, so I don't go finding spoilers before the movie. But after the movie's out, there is just there there is no spoiler free zone anymore. After Endgame stuff comes out, and it's plastered all over everywhere. If you boot up uh, YouTube, you can see videos that have been made out of it, and just the images alone that are the thumbnails for the videos that can give spoilers and that sort of thing. So there are a lot of benefits to doing this if you don't want to go to the theater. Now, if you want to go to the theater, and I know plenty of people that want yeah. to go to the theater. You want to go to the theater? Fine, go to the theater. But this is an economically viable way to watch the movie at home, either by yourself or with your family or with friends or whatever, and you don't have to go to the movie. I also have a big, I don't know, I guess it's a pet peeve of listening to people like rustling around during yeah. quiet spots in the movie or eating popcorn or the worst is when they're going into the candy wrapper bags and you're sh- 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 it's all sugar and it's all bad for you anyway. Well, this is coming from a 50 plus year old, but uh, I, and I love milk duds. I go to a movie theater. If you don't have milk duds, I don't like you at all. But if you have milk duds, you're my favorite theater. Cause I will buy some and I will eat them as bad as they are for me. <laughs> but But so you don't hear that rustling. If you have to go to the bathroom and let's face it, I'm over 50. I will have to go to the bathroom during this movie unless I actually take a full day to prep and like dehydrate myself. I will miss part of the movie. So this way I don't have to press pause, go to the bathroom, come back, get settled again, start it up. I don't miss anything. There are so many benefits to this. The 30 bucks for a movie I really want to see is not so bad. Now, like Cruella, I'm not paying 30 bucks for Cruella. Why? Why would I pay thirty if I had little kids that just loved Corello? Sure, go ahead, but I'm not paying thirty bucks for Corello. So it only works with the movies you really want to see. I would say the big blockbusters, but really, it's what whatever you want to see, the big movies that you want to see. Uh, so I think it works. Uh, I do have some comparisons if if you don't have anything else.
0: Uh, the last thing I was just going to say about that is is I do think that in the current climate of movie theaters and COVID and everything. I think this price tag works because of the things we just talked about, multiple people and stuff. If companies want to keep this long term, and they probably will not. But if they do, I I do still want to say that I I do still believe this is a little too high because you are going to get the individual people going, I'm not doing it. I'm not paying $30 per movie, especially when you get into the regular theater release. That's where they're going to start going. I'm going back to the theater. Um, like, I'm going to do that. So I, I think that if they were to come down a little bit, I, I think it would be a more feasible. Like, it would be more long-term, have long-term appeal.
2: I think if they came down any more, like, if you got down in the $20 range, you're talking about a 48-hour rental at that point. So mm. you don't get the unlimited watches of the movie over that's the course true. of the three months until it's available for free streaming. I mean, wherever that's, it's fair.
0: Stream. that's fair. Yeah.
2: Okay, so some comparisons. We'll talk about post-pandemic releases. F9, which is the Fast and Furious movie, F9, the Fast Saga that just came out on June 25th. It earned $70 million domestically on June 25th, 2021. Now, I couldn't get a true international Number because it had releases internationally from May 19th through June 25th. It's difficult to do an opening weekend with that. But to date, the film has grossed over $400 million internationally. Another one is The Quiet Place 2. It opened on May 26, 2021, and it had a box office number of $47.5 million. Mm -hmm. And you can take it up to uh, $58.5 million when Memorial Day itself was included. Uh, so it also suffered from the opening dates, May 27th through 20, uh, through June 24th. So it's difficult to get that true worldwide thing, but to date it has earned uh $279 million worldwide. And then I, I wasn't interested in this at all, but I know a lot of people were Godzilla versus Kong. It earned $31.6 million domestically in its opening weekend on March 24th, 2021 and internationally to date, it has earned $463.6 million. So there is money money in movies now. It's nowhere near the $2 billion <laughs> that we got out of Infinity <laughs> War and Endgame. But there are movies making money now that uh, this time last year just wouldn't have been a thing whatsoever. Uh, what do you think about these post-pandemic releases comparisons?
0: It's interesting to hear these numbers. Uh, it, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow with where the movie industry is right, right now. But uh, I guess give it time. We'll, we'll see things work their way back up again. People get more comfortable again. We'll start having people back in more theaters and hopefully things will get back to where they used to be. Because I, I've made it no secret. I'm not a huge fan of... like I don't have to go have the movie experience every now and then. I don't mind it. It's kind of fun just to go out there, but like, you know, I'd be just fine having that maybe once a year.
2: <laughs> right. And I think I'm in the same boat. So we're talking to Black Widow earned about $80 million domestically in theaters. I'm not even going to count that $60 million because I have no idea where internationally that right. $60 mil- million is. I know like it's you have to have Disney Plus and have the available to do the premium, so I don't even know what countries that's in right now. I know at least Canada and the United States, but I don't know where else it is, so I'm not going to include that. So let's just go with the $80 million and let's do some quick comparisons with the MCU movies. So Iron Man back in 2008 did $100 million. Iron Man 2 did $133 million. The Avengers in 2012 did $200 million, which was the biggest domestic opening of all time to date. You're going to hear that a lot here. Iron Man 3 in 2013 did $175 million. Thor The Dark World. You know, that lovable movie that everybody just loves of the MCU in 2013 did 86.1 million dollars, so slightly more than Black Widow. Captain America, the Winter Soldier in 2014 did 95 million dollars. The original Guardians of the Galaxy did 94 million dollars. Avengers age of Ultron was a slight disappointment and only 191 <laughs> million dollars. Ant man, I you know what? I'm gonna do the ones under in, in a little bit. Captain America Civil War did 178. million. Doctor Strange did $85 million. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 did $145 million. That lovable little guy, Tom Holland, with Spider Man Homecoming, did $117 million. Technically, Sony. Uh, Thor Ragnarok did $115 million. Black Panther knocked it out of the park at $241 million. Uh, Avengers Infinity War did $258 million. Captain Marvel did $154 million. Endgame, the biggest ever to date, $350 million opening weekend. Uh, By the way, Avengers Infinity War was the highest ever to date as well in 2018. And Spider-Man Terror from Home did $185 million. So that is the ones that were above Black Widow. The ones below Black Widow, Thor, the original one in 2011 at $65 million. Uh, Captain America, the first Avengers at $65 million. Ant-Man at $58 million. Nobody liked the Ant-Man, I guess. Which is weird and,
0: because like it just took off after it actually released.
2: <laughs> and Ant-Man and the Wasp at $76 million. And you know, Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp were so integral into end game that it, it was, yeah, it should have been more. And as well as Thor, the Dark World was big into Endgame as well. So that just gives you some comparisons on where Black Widow was inside the MCU. Mm. I'm not going to go into it, but I also pulled the numbers for uh, other non-MCU Marvel properties, as well as the DCEU that came out. And actually, I think Black Widow did okay. Did yeah. it do great? No, but I think it did okay. And personally, I'm okay with them slipping in the $60 million. I do have reservations. You're going to do it in the future, Disney. You should. If you did it this time, you should do it in the future. And uh, the other reservation is I don't know how to count it because it's not truly domestic, even though it should be. It's not truly domestic. And the international number is not really available for all these movies because the release dates are different internationally. Yeah. So it's, it's not a true one for one. You could do the total box office, but when you're just talking about the opening weekend, the domestic number is the one that's standard across the board, and that's what you have to go with. And because of that, I don't know if you should use the premium video on demand or PVOD number or not.
0: If they did premium view, if they did them based off of total PVOD sales worldwide, I I completely disagree with with them being counted towards domestic because there are different offerings under different regions for Disney Plus. That thus they can be separated because. You have different licensing still agreements that are out there that you or you did at one point, whatever, it doesn't matter. At least it used to be separated. So I, I think that they should not be counted as a domestic sales.
2: So I'm interested in what everybody else thinks about yeah. this uh, this bombshell, basically that Disney Plus threw in there. We haven't been talking about box office numbers for a very long time, but it is still very much a big part of the industry. Everybody wants the most out there; they want to have the most international. They want that billion dollar number. But Be- Black Widow was never going to get to a billion dollars. No. But that's that's what they want. They want the billion dollar, or two billion dollar, or three billion dollar now total worldwide. And uh, the opening weekend of this little is just, it's not a $200 million opening weekend worldwide. It's just not going to get them there for Disney. But eventually, hopefully we'll get back there before we do the next big team up movie within the MCU. One's coming, you know it. I just don't know what it's going to be. So we'll we'll see. and, And we'll see. Uh, I won't give any spoilers. We haven't talked spoilers or content to Black Widow whatsoever. We've just been talking about the box office numbers. I'd be interested if you want to come on board to the Guinea Geek Discord server. There is a Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. channel over there. Use your spoiler tags. I would be interested to hear how you liked Black Widow. We're going to be talking about it on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Not this week, but the, the following week. We're going to... Cover Loki this week, and then we'll cover Black Widow to give everybody a chance to see the movie however you want to see it. If you want to see it in the theater, go ahead. If you want to see it at home, go ahead. But we'll talk about it on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. So be interested to see, hear your take about this PVOD number included in the box numbers, box office numbers, and uh, what you think about the content.
0: And don't worry if if you are waiting, I'm sure, give it another about a year, and you'll be happily going and spending like nearly $100 to take your kids to the movie theater by the time you you buy them everything and you end up having to probably fast food dinner because you don't have time to do make dinner and go to the movies. And so, so don't worry, don't worry. You won't have to pay $35 again in about a year. You'll be paying like nearly 100. So there you go.
2: Honestly, the last time I took the whole family to a movie, it was Rise of Skywalker, and it was me and uh, the three kids and a couple of their significant others, and then other family strap hangers. It was over yeah. a C note to do that. Whereas if it was in this time, I would have said, Look, we're just taking over the living room. We're going to stay here. We're going to pay $30. And actually, honestly, that might hurt some of these movies' big numbers in the future. Mm. That people will decide yeah. if they have big groups that are going to the theater, we'll just watch it at home and then save like 50 to hundred
0: dollars by doing it. Like I said, I, I suspect it will go away eventually. Yep. But that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of this show. Thanks for sticking with us through this episode. We hope you had a lot of good fun. Uh, contrary to Chris, not being here. We know it's never a great episode when Chris isn't here. So hopefully today's was tolerable. Yeah,
2: we missed Chris. Uh, he definitely wanted to be here, yes. but he just couldn't due to personal reasons. So he should be back next week and it'll be yes. great having him back on to talk about some of these issues, which I'm sure will still be in the news a week from now.
0: We missed you, Chris. And we hope uh, that next time you come and save our listeners because they they don't want another SP and SJ cast. They just don't want that.
2: No, they come here for the Chris. They
0: sure. They do. So come to our Discord server, GunnaGeek.com, Discord. But for episode number 383 of the official Gunna Geek show, I'm Steven Drew saying space tourism. It's here.
2: And MSP saying thank you very much for sticking with us, and we'll see you next time. Bye. See ya.